The Joy FM Sports presents The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley. Welcome to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley. Thank you for joining us again this week. We have a few sports topics we want to dive in today, touching a few uh, different spots in sports uh, this week with this week's show. So we know we have the Heisman Trophy Ceremony this Saturday night. You have the four finals who have been announced. We're going to dive into that later on in the show. And also a big MLB transaction that took place the other night as we'll uh, talk about that later as well. But first of all, I have to lead off with the Patriot way. <laughs> we all know heard with the New England Patriots as they have this, they call it the Patriot way, something how they go about their everyday activities and being a member of the Patriot organization and how their standards and values that's involved in that. And so if you've been following the NFL the last couple of days, you've heard what came out as far as the allegations that they've um, kind of referenced with the Patriots in that Bengals Browns game. But before we get into what happened in that game, let me just do a a recap of what the Patriots, some of the scandals they've been involved in over the last decade or so. So first was Spygate. Everybody remember Spygate back in September 2007. It was one where the Patriots were playing the New York Jets and Eric Mangini was the head coach for the Jets. Well, prior to joining the Jets, he was a member of the Patriots uh, coaching staff and so he knew what the Patriots was doing when he was there. So when he became the head coach in New York and they were playing the Patriots in that game one or in week one, he told some of those Patriots assistants that he was uh, colleagues with, he told them, I know what you do. I know that you film and do you spy. You do not do that against my Jets. Do not do it. I'm warning you. So I guess after conversations with some of those Patriots assistants, he didn't feel comfortable that they would stay true to what he requested. So he informed the NFL to keep an eye out on the Patriots during that game. And when they did that, the NFL called New England staffer Matt Estrella taping the Jets during that game. And that's what led to the spa gate where Bill Belichick was fined $500,000. The Patriots were fined $250,000. And then the Patriots had to forfeit their first round pick in the 2008 draft. So that's the first thing. I think that's the one everybody remembers most is Spygate because we haven't really heard too much about that prior to that scandal in 2007. And that's always been and will always be uh, tied to the New England Patriots. Now, the second scandal was Deflategate. That was January 2015, where the Patriots were taking on the Indianapolis Colts in the AOC championship game. This was something that I've never seen. I've never thought about. I would never think a team would intentionally deflate balls to gain an advantage in any game. Uh, so that was something that really caught me by surprise just because I'd never heard of that before. And just the fact that somebody would think about deflating the ball in the game to try to gain an advantage was just it was new to me. And I'm sure it was new to a lot of sports fans around the world. So in that or the result from that scandal the Patriots were fined $1 million. Tom Brady was suspended four games, and then they were stripped of their 2016 first-round pick and then a 2017 fourth-round pick. 
So Spygate and Deflategate are always the two that you think about New England and you think about doing them doing something wrong against the rules. Those are the two scandals that always come to mind. Now, another issue that took place in that same year. So Deflategate was January 2015. In September 2015, the Patriots were taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one of the new season. Well, the Patriots won 28-21. And after that game, Mike Tomlin, the head coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, was he was extremely hot. I mean, he was visibly upset. Something, you know, Tomlin he he's a stand up guy, but when he believes something is wrong, he's going to speak up and speak up, uh, uh, speak out about it. So what happened in that game is he said their headsets for all the coaches, all they could hear was the Patriots broadcast during the game. They couldn't speak to each other. They couldn't hear each other. All they heard was the Patriots broadcast in their headsets throughout the entire game. And he said there's always that goes there's always something that goes wrong when they travel to Foxborough. Whenever they play at New England, it's something of that magnitude that is is that doesn't happen elsewhere. And so this is kind of who New England is. They're always doing something that will help them and that's unfair to their opposition or to the opposing team. Even to the point where there was another uh, former Pats assistant coach who said that this headset problem would occur so often that one team asked the league official to sit in the coach's box during the game and wait for it to happen. Sure enough, on a key third down in that game, the headset just happened to go out. So this is, like I said, this is who New England is. They will do whatever they can to gain an advantage. It may seem subtle to some. And but we always hear about Spygate and Deflategate. Well, there's there's some I'm sure there's so many other things that we just haven't been made aware of that they've gotten away with. Now, fast forward to what just happened with the Bengals and the Browns. There was a member of a Patriots video crew who was at the Cincinnati Bengals Cleveland Browns game taping the Bengals sideline. Now, the Bengals had no idea of it. The NFL had no idea uh, of this video crew being there, but apparently the Browns did. So the question is, why are you keeping that from the Bengals in the NFL and you're filming the Bengals, but they have no clue that you're doing so? Uh, supposedly this was for a series they called Do Your Job. They were uh, focusing on advanced scout, what an advanced scout does during a game, uh, which to me just doesn't make any sense. Like the Patriots not even – playing in this game, why would they have any video crew or anybody associated with the team filming anything about the Bengals and the Browns? And let me tell you, who do you think the Patriots are playing this week? They're playing the Cincinnati Bengals. So, like, all these things that tie in together just – and somebody may say, well, it's the Bengals. They've only won, like, one game. Why does it matter? It's still illegal. It's still against the rules. They can pick up – you know, audibles and hand signals and whatever else they need to gain an advantage of that they can even possibly use against a different team. So this is goes back to things that Patriots do to try to win a game. And uh, we've seen them bend and break rules all the time. So uh, another interesting fact that came out from this Bengals and Browns incident where this Patriots video crew was there, a member of that video crew actually tried to get rid of the video. So we all know whenever something somebody is trying to get rid of some evidence and try to cover it up or delete it, that that's that's you know it's a dead it's a dead giveaway right there. That lets you know that something is not right. Whatever was going on shouldn't have been taking place. 
And also, according to ESPN.com, the cameraman who took the video for the Patriots asked NFL security if he could delete the footage and have the whole situation be forgotten. So here, that same cameraman, a member of the video crew for the Patriots, is asking the NFL crew, or asking the NFL security if he could delete the footage and just, can we, you know, look past this and not mention it? You know, it's not a big deal. I mean, this is, that's, those are just dead giveaways. Just letting you know that whatever they were doing, whatever they were taking uh, part of, just really should not have been happening. And, you know, the Bengals currently have a copy of that video and the league has a copy of that video as well. Now, Bill Belichick says, we don't knowingly cross the line. Now, this is coming from a coach who is very uh, particular in everything that he does, and he's telling us that they didn't know that they crossed the line or we don't knowingly break the rules intentionally. And I'm sorry, Bill. I, I can't believe you, man. All the things that the Patriots have been associated with over the past few years have been accused for and the things they've been found guilty of the past few years. It's something I, I can't take. I can't take your side on that one. It just doesn't make any sense. Too many things are are lining up to where, you know, they always say if if there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, so something's going on with New England, and I think this situation is no, no different from what we've seen in the past. Now, Matt Walsh was a member of the in New England's video department back when Spygate occurred. At the time, he told investigators that the Patriots videographers were told to look like media members, to tape over their team logos, turn their sweatshirt inside out, and to wear credentials that read, Patriots TV or Kraft Productions. They were also given excuses on what to say if the NFL security asked what they were doing. So their excuses were to tell them you're filming the quarterbacks or you're filming kickers or you're doing this for a team show. Well, that was back in the Spygate era with Matt Walsh. It's his experience as a member of the video department in New England. Diana Russini, who's a reporter and anchor for ESPN, the other day she tweeted out that a source told her that a Bengals employee was watching the cameraman who identified himself as a Robert Kraft employee. So Matt Walsh said over a decade ago that they were told to say that they're doing this for a team show and to wear credentials that said either Patriots TV or Kraft Productions. So in this Bengals Brown scenario, this cameraman who um, the, this Bengals employee addressed, this, this Patriots cameraman, said that he identified himself as a Robert Kraft employee. So here we are, Spygate 2019, here we go, Spygate 20, 2007. They're using the same excuses that they've used in times before. So it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I just... I, I, to me, they're guilty. I'm just trying to see what the NFL does with it, if they'll do anything at all. But there's some people who just don't believe. I read one article today saying that the Patriots scams are overblown. Uh, Wendy Nix, who's an anchor for ESPN, she said this the other day on NFL Live that she said, I used to cover the team, you know, I used to follow them, and they wouldn't do anything like this. So I, I believe the Patriots uh, in this situation. I believe that they're right. They haven't done anything wrong. And I think that's where people mess up is they – they're unable to separate the emotional side from what's really happening because there's too many things that that are that's lining up against New England to where it looks like they've done something wrong. Now finding out everything or the the totality of what they've done is uh, remains to be seen. But what Wendy Nix could have said is, you know, I used to cover the team and you know I used to follow the players and I've been around the organization a lot, but 
this situation doesn't look good, you know, but we'll see what happens. She could have played it in the middle to where I'm supporting them, but hey, let's see what, you know, what all comes out of this. So, but she didn't take that route. She took uh, the full Patriot side and saying that she believed that they did no wrong. Now, for a franchise that's as meticulous as the Patriots have been over the years, they really do seem to break major rules quite often. Now, like I said, this is a franchise with like Bill Belichick's great. We all know Tom Brady is great, but they've been caught several times of doing something wrong and whatever they can to get an advantage over the other team. Um, I mean, I remember even like Malcolm Butler when when they won that Super Bowl against the Seahawks, how he had that interception that sealed the game for the Patriots all week. The Patriots, Belichick, everybody told Malcolm Butler, the secondary, be prepared for the Seahawks to run this play. They're going to run this play. We don't know when, but they will. So be prepared. So that's why you seen when Russell Wilson snapped the ball, as soon as he snapped it, Malcolm Butler broke on it and got the interception because he had been prepared and trained all week that this play is going to take, it's, it's going to happen. And so that goes back to the kind of the preparation that, the Patriots coaching staff lead and guides their players on a weekly basis. Now, another thing that took place was Martellus Bennett. He played tight end for the Patriots for maybe a couple seasons, but he talked about how all, they were preparing for the Buffalo Bills that week in practice, and it was supposed to rain on that Sunday against the Bills. Well, also, the punter for the Bills didn't have good hands. Apparently, he wasn't good at catching the ball, so... And, and whenever, whenever it's time for him to punt. So when it comes to Sunday, sure enough, it rains, and that punter who had bad hands actually dropped the ball on one of his attempted punts. And the, this is something the Patriots prepared for all week that it's going to rain, this punter is going to drop the ball, we're going to prepare and recover fumbles in practice because it's going to happen. And sure enough, that happened on Sunday. Now, the Patriots didn't recover that miss, that mishandled snap, but that's how in-depth the Patriots are. They are very meticulous on everything they do within the game. Now, even to the point where you have this coaching staff, Belichick, you only see him doing the interviews. He doesn't really handle let coaches do many do any interviews at all, um, and then very few players. And And this is because what the Patriots have studied is They've noticed that they can pick up a lot of information from opposing teams when the other team does their interviews leading up to that game with the Patriots. So they'll be able to find out strategies or tendencies or what those teams plan to do in that week leading up to uh, playing against New England. And so this is another reason why the mindset of Belichick is is, is everything is controlled, everything in-house, everything is is has a purpose of why they're doing it. So, like I said, no other coach does interviews other than him, so he can control what the information is being released out to the media. And so that's, the, like I said, the reason is because they've been able to gain advantages and information from other teams doing their interviews, kind of letting anybody who gets in front of a mic being able to talk. So, like I said, coaches do whatever they can to advantage, to gain an advantage. And sometimes they go to extreme measures of breaking rules, as we've seen. Uh, and I know this from experience also. I mean, going back to my high school time, I remember I playing high school baseball. My coaches would steal the signs from the opposing team. So when our team was at the plate, if one of my coaches called your name, 
a fastball was coming. If one of my coaches called your number, like, let's go number seven, let's go number 10, a curveball or an off-speed pitch was coming. So what what I've experienced as a high school athlete, this is totally different than what's happening in college and the pros where these players and coaches are making millions of dollars. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to see what comes out of this. I doubt anything serious will will happen with the Patriots. They usually just get a slap on the wrist and they'll take a championship in the middle of it. So, uh, but we'll we'll see how it all plays out in the coming weeks. But like I said, I don't expect much to happen to the New England Patriots with this new and ongoing scandal. Now, when we return, we're going to talk about some college football as the Heisman Trophy finals have been announced. So we'll talk about some of the predictions as far as where who will end up first, who will end up second, third, and fourth. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on The Sweet Spot. Welcome to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley. This week, this Saturday, is the Heisman Trophy Ceremony. As the finalists have all been announced, we have Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, and Chase Young are the four finalists who will be vying for that Heisman Trophy come Saturday night in New York. Now, I think it's widely expected that Joe Burrow will win the award. I think it's not even a question that he'll win. It's really more about what the margin of victory will it will will uh take place as far as how many votes he'll have over the the next three uh candidates are that are going for their trophy now burrow has been really a Heisman hopeful all year he's been really a Heisman favorite ever since that 46 41 victory over alabama where they beat alabama in tuscaloosa and kind of gave them the advantage or the uh kind of the the inside track for the inside for the SEC West and the SEC Conference as a whole. Now, Joe Burrow set an SEC record with 4,715 passing yards. He set an SEC record for 48 touchdowns, which broke Drew Locke's record, who played at Missouri. He's currently a quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And Joe Burrow is also number one in NCAA history when it comes to completion percentage, as he's completed 78% of his passes this season. And Joe became the first quarterback in SEC history to throw for 4,000 yards and 40 touchdowns in the same season. You know, that's that's a very impressive season. I mean, to be the only quarterback that's ever done that, uh, Burrow came from the Big Ten to the SEC. And we all know the SEC is widely considered the best conference year in, year out. They produce the most talent in the NFL. And Joe Burrow, here he is. He had a solid season last year, but this year has been – the breakout season of all breakout seasons. The next candidate is Justin Fields. Justin Fields had 2,953 passing yards, 40 touchdowns, and only one interception. Now, I don't care who you play. I don't care what conference you play. You only throw one pick all season. That's a dream season. Like, I'm, I'm a gamer. I play Madden. I've played NCAA over the years. I could never do that in a video game. That's, these are video. It, I, I was about to say they're video games numbers, but they're not even video game numbers because you, you can't really do that in a video game. So for Fields to throw 40 touchdowns and only one interception is, I don't even have a word to describe how awesome and how impressive that feat is. But 
He also had 471 rushing yards and 10 touchdowns. So he makes plays with his arm and his feet for the Buckeyes. Now, the next candidate is Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners, he threw over 300, 600, and I'm sorry, 3,634 passing yards, 32 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. Along with that passing threat, he rushed for 1,255 yards and 18 touchdowns. So Jalen makes plays with his feet in his, in his arm just as Fields does. Even Joe Burrow makes plays with his feet when he needs to, not to the same level as Fields and Hurts, but he can still make plays when he has to scramble outside the pocket. Now, the final um, member who's competing for that trophy Saturday in New York for the Heisman Trophy Award is Chase Young. Chase Young, defensive end for the Ohio State Buckeyes, he led the nation with 16 and a half sacks. He led the nation with seven forced fumbles, and then he leads the Big Ten with 21 tackles for loss. Chase Young is super explosive off the defensive line. You know, when it comes to NFL draft time, teams are always looking for quarterbacks and they're looking for pass rushers. So Chase Young will be a top 10 pick easily in next year's draft. I don't expect him to fall anywhere outside of that top 10. Now, he broke the Ohio State single-season sack record with those 16.5 sacks which was previously held by Vernon Golston. Golston recorded 14 back in 2007, and he ended up being the number six pick for the New York Jets. And his NFL career didn't quite go the same way as the Jets hoped or he or he hoped, um, so he didn't spend too much time in the league and didn't have the, the same success that he had at Ohio State with the Buckeyes. Now, with me, Burrow is number one for sure. That's hands down. I would put Jalen Hurts number two, and it's tough because, like, so you look at Fields, 40 touchdowns, only one interception, but Hurts has more pa- passing touchdowns, and then he has nearly 800 more rushing yards along with eight more rushing touchdowns. Now, they both have 50 touchdowns total, but the, fr- the fact that Hurts has more passing touchdowns and 800 more rushing yards, I give him the slight edge to finish second. I don't know if he'll do that. They'll probably give it to Fields, but – as far as my opinion, I would have Burrow, Hurts, then Fields, and Chase Young fourth. Uh, you know, as outstanding as Chase Young is, it's just is just not a defensive player players award. Of we've had who uh, I guess Tyra Matthew won it, and then Charles Woodson won. It. Well, I don't, Matthew didn't win it. I don't believe Matthew didn't win it. So Charles Woodson is the only player who won a Heisman as a defensive player. But Matthew was on track to get it before he got in trouble. Now, like I said, Charles Wilson's the only player who's won the Heisman as a defensive player. This is all offense. It's usually a quarterback, uh, quarterback's award, maybe a running back every now and then, very few receivers. But that's why I figured Chase Young will finish last as far as the four finalists that will be in New York this Saturday. Now, each QB Heisman finalist transferred from other schools. Joe Burrow transferred from Ohio State. Justin Fields transferred from Georgia. And Jalen Hurts transferred from Alabama. And I know Alabama fans, they love some Jalen Hurts. And it's impressive to see the love and support they still show him, even though he's with another team and playing in Norman for the Sooners. So uh, I know they miss him being in in Tuscaloosa with the Crimson Tide, just not just the player that he is on the field, but the person that he is off the field as well. So it's been cool to see the support that Jalen Hurts still receives from the Crimson Tide fan base. Now, speaking of the Crimson Tide, Tua Tonga Valoa, if he didn't get hurt 
if that hip injury never occurred, he would be in New York as well as one of the finalists. I don't think they would take any of those four finalists out that we have out. I think they would just add to it to that group, and it would be a total of five finalists that would be in New York uh, vying for that Heisman Trophy award. Now, Tua, if he didn't get hurt, it would have been very interesting to see where he would have placed in that Heisman um, voting candidacy that all these players are going for because I mean, he was right there on pace with Joe Burrows. You know, I mean, two is one of the best quarterbacks we've seen in recent history, probably the best to ever come through Alabama. So it would have been nice if Tua didn't get hurt. It would have been cool to, to see where he would have played as far as his ranking in the Heisman Trophy uh, campaign. Now, I expect Joe Burrow is his trophy to lose. I don't foresee anything happening for him to not get it. So I think Saturday we'll all be expecting Joe to get that award. Now, I'll take you back to when I first started really paying attention to the Heisman Trophy Award. It was the year Jason White and Larry Fitzgerald were uh, some of the finalists for that award, and I was a huge Larry Fitzgerald fan. I remember watching this whole episode or this whole ceremony waiting for them to announce the winner at any time. See, I was young, so I didn't realize they wait till like the last five minutes to announce the winner. And when I was, when they announced Jason White, the quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners was the trophy recipient for that year. I was, I was upset because I just didn't think he would win. Didn't think he deserved to win. I thought it was Fitzgerald's all the way the year he had for the Pittsburgh Panthers at wide receiver. Uh, so that was the first strike that I had with that Heisman Trophy ceremony. The next two strikes came in back-to-back years, and it was when Darren McFadden was with the Arkansas Razorbacks. Darren McFadden is one of the best backs to ever come through college football history. I mean, he's he was amazing what he did at Arkansas. They called him Run DMC during his time in Fayetteville. And the first year he lost to Troy, to Troy Smith, who was a quarterback for Ohio State. The next year he lost to Tim Tebow. And I know Tim Tebow was great and everything he did in Florida and Gainesville. But, man, it was – I was like, there's no way Darren McFadden doesn't win one of these two years. And this is where it really kind of showed me that it's not really the best player who will win the Heisman. It's more of a team record and that player stat, a combination of those two. And so Arkansas never had great records. I think the best they may have finished when – McFadden was there, maybe nine and four. So they were never a top 10 team. So that's when it opened my eyes that as long as you're a good player on one of the top teams, then chances are the Heisman will come from one of those top five, top 10 teams for that season. Now, it's unfair to players like McFadden because you can only do so much as an individual. Like football is the ultimate team sport, you know, so you can be a great quarterback who throws 50 touchdowns, two interceptions, throw for over 4,000 yards. But if your team has a horrible defense and you happen to finish, I don't know, 7-5, does that quarterback still win Heisman? And that's very unlikely because they always incorporate the team record when a player is chosen for the Heisman Trophy Award. So that was strike two and strike three for me when McFadden never won the Heisman. So ever since then, I quit paying attention as close to the Heisman Trophy ceremony itself and I'm always I'll, I'll know who wins and I'm curious to see who wins but I've never sit through and watch a ceremony like I once did when Jason White was the winner over Fitzgerald and McFadden didn't win over Troy Smith or Tim Tebow 
Now, when we get back, there was a huge MLB transaction that took place over in recent days. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game. Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley. If you've been keeping up with the MLB free agent offseason so far, you knew the news that uh, came out the other day as the New York Yankees signed Garrett Cole to a nine-year, $324 million contract. Now, this is probably the biggest news, or there's no probably in it. This is the biggest news that we'll probably hear all offseason, barring any major blockbuster trade in the MLB. Now, a few days ago, when it was announced that the Yankees were heavily interested in Cole and they were going to make a huge offer, at, at that moment, I knew Cole was going to be with the Yankees because it took me back to when the Astros played the Rays in this year's ALDS. The Astros beat the Rays in that game five where Garrett Cole pitched to Jim. And then at the end of the game, as Garrett Cole's given his postgame interview, the reporter started to ask about his connection to New York. And as Garrett Cole began to speak on his connection and his relationship with the Yankees, as he grew up a Yankees fan, he was so emotional as he spoke about the opportunity to play in Yankee Stadium. And it was it was to the point where he was about to cry on national TV as he you could tell that he really cared for the New York Yankees as a kid growing up. So when the news came out the other day that they were looking at making a huge offer for him, I was like, oh, it's a done deal. I mean, any chance, you know, a player growing up gets an opportunity to play for that team. Like if I was a major league ball player and I got a chance to play for the Miami Marlins or when I was growing up, I was a huge Ken Griffey fan. He's my favorite athlete of all time. If it would have been the Seattle Mariners calling my name, then that would have been, that would have really made my dad Adam a dream come true. Or if I was an NBA player, it would be, the San Antonio Spurs, you know, I'd love to play for Greg Popovich and be down there in San Antonio. So I was not shocked at all when Cole officially signed with the New York Yankees. And this recent photo came out on Twitter where it shows an 11 year old Garrett Cole at the 2001 World Series where he attended game sixes, game six and seven, where the Yankees eventually lost to the Arizona Diamondbacks and that thrilling classic that I remember like it was yesterday and I was going for the Diamondbacks by the way because I can't stand the Yankees but this picture came out on Twitter that Garrett Cole was at the game he's in his Yankee uniform a New York Yankees hat and he's holding a sign that reads Yankee fan today tomorrow forever and so that's pretty cool uh, just to see that photo that of an 11 year old Garrett Cole who's always been a Yankee fan who has dreamed about this day of getting the opportunity to play in pinstripes in New York, um, even to the point where he was drafted in the first round coming out of high school by the New York Yankees. But he decided to play college ball, he, and he attended UCLA. And after that, the, the Pirates drafted him when he finished his collegiate career for the Bruins. So here he is, even though it's several years later, the Yankees took him coming out of high school, but now he gets that chance to play for his childhood favorite. And, of course, the New York Yankees will be 
the favorites to win the World Series, I'm sure, especially coming out of the American League by signing a pitcher like Garrett Cole, who's in his prime. Like I said, they signed him to a nine-year deal, $324 million, and they already have the offense with Gary Sanchez and Gleyber Torres. You have uh, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. Like, the offense is there, DJ LeMahieu. Now, the pitching rotation has always been the question. Even last year when it came to the trade deadline, they didn't make any moves. And maybe they didn't make any moves because they wanted to take a chance with what they had last season and then go out and sign a guy like Garrett Cole without losing any of their top prospects that they would have to trade to acquire someone of Cole's magnitude. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. It seems like all the top major free agents, the Yankees, of course, have the money to go get guys like that. The Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, uh, because MLB does not does not have a salary cap like the NFL and NBA does. So the teams who have the most money are able to spend that money and get the top free agents year in, year out. Now, when we return, it's time for Triple C, the Corey's closing comments part of the day. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on The Sweet Spot. Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. It's time for today's Corey's Closing Comments. And today, I'm going to share with you 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18 from the King James Version. And it reads, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I think sometimes we lose sight of what those words actually say. It says, In everything and not for everything. So if your house burned down, that's we shouldn't be thankful for that happening. Or if you happen to hurt yourself, you break your arm, break your foot or something like that. We're not thankful for that happening, but in the midst of those circumstances, we thank God, we trust God and know that he's going to bring us out of those situations as difficult as they may be. So no matter what you're going through, remember We're not thankful for those situations, but in those situations, in those circumstances, we give thanks to God knowing that he loves us. He always has our back and we always come out on top. Until next time, you're always loved in the sweet spot. Stay in the sweet spot on the Joy FM Sports Facebook page. This has been a presentation of the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game.